take a trip down memory lane with me as we go back to 2015 to talk about a book that actually takes place in the far-flung future of 2089, a future that doesn't feel so far from now, not anymore, a future that we see through the lens of Rick Remender and Sean Gordon Murphy's incredible series, Tokyo Ghost. This is a story that's about people who have essentially given up on the idea of creating a life for themselves, the idea of living a life at any moment divorced from technology, and have just succumbed. And what a terrible world that would be. It's coming Wally, next violent. Coming next hmm? year, uh, Apple Vision Pro. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, um, so this is from 2015. Uh, this is right at the end of Rick Remender's time at Marvel. Uh, he hmm. had had enough. He was decided he was going to bet on himself and just focus on what would become Giant Generator which is his sort of, you know, publishing line. Um, and, uh, you know, he had done the great, like, Captain America stuff, the Uncanny Avengers stuff, Deadly Class, and Black Science were on the market. And that was kind of how he, you know, re-penetrated uh, doing indie work, um, you know, given how he started. And then he kind of took a break and did the Marvel thing. And then on the other end... You have Sean Gordon Murphy, who I don't know about you guys, but uh, my first Murphy book was actually The Wake um, mm. with Scott Snyder. Great book. Great book. And then uh, it wasn't but, what, a year later? Yeah, a year later um, that we got Tokyo Ghost. So he was right off of Chrononauts with Mark Miller, uh, which obviously kind of really, really put Murphy on the map. And this was his next big project. So I feel, even in retrospect, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it as we uh, initiate this conversation, I feel like this is two creators who are a little bit angry, a little bit ready to start saying what they need to say about a lot of things. This is, for me, in my mind, as a Rick Remender fan, you know, of everything he's done. Um, this is him unleashed in a lot of ways. And in looking at where Murphy would go on to go and the Murphy verse with the Batman stuff, I feel like this is the prototype of that in a lot of ways. Yeah, I definitely felt the the White Knight verse in this. Yeah. Um more than I thought I would, you know, the, the, just the way the city looks in this book, um, the vehicles and everything, a lot of it feels like that was just planting the seed for what, you know, you know, White Knight and Beyond the White Knight would become. Um, yeah, I was previously a, a, a Sean Murphy fan, I think from, I think Joe the Barbarian is my first thing I remember him from. Oh my um, God, you're right. Yes. Yeah, I Morrison's book. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of, I think he he was a big cover guy from what I remember too. So um, yeah, I, I I was a fan of him, and then Remender, who 
my favorite writer at the time. So this was a no-brainer for me. And I was reading this when I was doing the Longbox podcast. So we were doing pretty much reviews for every issue of this. I remember those vividly. Um, specifically the, uh, the, the scene with the terrorist organization. That's all nursery rhymes. I remember us talking about that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, one of the things for me is, like, I felt this was a, in, in a second reading of it was, like, it's a bit much <laughs> um, is how I felt about it. I mean, I loved it when it came out. Um, I'm wondering if it's just, just a growth on my end, but um, the second reading was like, uh, okay, all right, I get it. I, I can tag onto that. That's generally how I felt about the book. Um, uh, now that I, I sort of have that context of Remender coming off of, you know, coming out of Marvel, there's a degree of it that makes sense. Um, but a lot of the, you know, the, the visual gags and anatomy and, uh, even just some of the, the humor that comes from the characters themselves, a lot of it to me feels like wasted space that could be used for better characterization or better world building. Or more in-depth world building. I think you do it, Tyler. Are you talking about just about like the needless violence and like the uh... the violence demon so much bothered me? It was the you know the the constant <laughs> the constant penises and the the you know the Lord Huckington the third jokes, you know, and just stuff like that that always came, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we get to, we see a guy giving the president some the sloppiest of toppy for about three panels. So yeah, um, just... like like I get it, and, I, and like that is world building in my opinion. That stuff that's in this, and I'm uh, not yeah, but we're still doing that in issue eight. You know, yeah. Like I I I can kind of tell what the world is like. Um, so I don't disagree because then there are those really really good flashback stories with you know uh debbie and and teddy Teddy. um which like maybe those are expanded i don't want to write someone else's book but you know just in terms of balance i can see what you're you're getting at this uh this is probably my favorite mender read that we've done so far Mm -hmm. like this uh absolutely knocked it out like he's already been more recently uh uh, in the stratosphere for me but like this just continues to pile on on this um it was i think hyper like maximalist he's trying to get so much onto pages so much concepts on um and i think they all come out and read well i think there's a lot to read but I think that serves the book, that serves the narrative, that serves the art um, into this cohesive package of this is a lot because this world is a lot, is overstimulating. And you need to sift through that to distill for yourself what's going on. And there are obviously quiet moments and there are moments where we don't, we're not bogged down by a lot of that. But in those moments, you have to sort of break the kind of zombie-esque nature that 
you, that you're coming into the book with the same way that Teddy's been trapped to turn into lead. Um, and that like, once I made that association with any moment of him having his helmet on, or there just being like a lot of stuff going on, I'm like, Oh, this is the world. Like this makes sense. And, uh, this tracks for me and I need to be the person like Debbie to be like, all right, this is a lot. This is annoying. I'm going to put this aside and really care about the shit that I want to care about. Um, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I've had this. So, uh, Sean, uh, I was picking up all of as much of the image stuff as I could back in 2014, 2015, 2016. So this is actually a set that I had picked up back in probably whenever the book ended, what, 2016, 2017 at a convention. Wow. So I've had this sitting waiting to be read, waiting for this book club in particular to be whipped out some six, seven years later. Don't put too much thought into that, Tyler. Uh, yeah, I was saying for the, the topic of the book, that's <laughs> certainly choice um, words. Uh, and, and this paid off. This was uh, absolutely incredible for me. I love this reading. I don't know what a second reading is going to look like, but uh, from the get-go, uh, I fell in love. Page one, page two. So uh, that's fantastic, Marco. Uh, I love the fact that you seem to have gotten exactly like what I thought uh, they were trying to do with the crazy overstimulation, as you said. Um, and there's a lot to dissect, I think, about all of that. But these book clubs that we do, which we do one every single month, are actually voted on by our patrons on patreon.com slash the comics pals. What happens is the four of us, we submit a pick uh, and whichever one the patrons vote on, that's what we do. That's what we do a book club on. It's a lot of fun. I think our patrons have a blast, you know, voting and deciding what we're going to read and then you know, we obviously have a great time coming on and, and doing these for you. So if you enjoy it, if you enjoy the conversation that we are about to have, then definitely consider uh, hitting us up on patreon.com slash the comics pal so you can cast your vote as well. Aside from that, uh, a subscription on youtube.com slash the comics pals helps us out a lot, costs you absolutely nothing to do, helps spread the word about the comics pals if you enjoy what we do. Rolling right along. This book... If you can cat, if you can cast aside all of the craziness, all of the, um, you know, the ridiculous names, the constant, you know, cursing and everything else, if you can shut out the noise, is very much a love story. It's it's very much the love story of these two characters that were introduced to, you know, right away in the book, uh, Led Dent and Debbie Decay, and they are essentially what pass for like cops, detectives or, or whatever in this new world. And their job is to stop people who are just out of their minds. As you can imagine in a world where everyone is connected to the internet, almost at all times, uh, there are a lot of people running around a little crazy, you know? And I think a big part of what Remender and Murphy were trying to do was to make the internet real, was to take the things that you see on the internet, generally the worst aspects of it, the worst aspects of people who are constantly connected to the television, constantly connected you know, to their phone, to their device, um, and what that does to your brain, and letting that be unleashed, 
And I think it's effective if you can stand the the theme and if you can stand that idea, because it definitely can be grating. I mean, I would even say it's prophetic in some instances. There are moments yeah. where I'm just like, oh, this is happening now and worsening now. And you're thinking about things that we are currently on the trend to. Um, I think there's I think he stacks a lot in this book too much. No, actually, that's not true because I wanted more. A lot. Yeah, um, there there is a lot. And the first, even the first issue, uh, it covers a lot of ground. The first issue, and, and by the way, what am I doing? I need to show off. I didn't oh, get you got the deluxe. Nothing. Yeah, I got the the nice, you know, giant <laughs> generator deluxe uh hardcover edition. It's absolutely gorgeous. This is huge. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the size really comes across if you're watching, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube. They usually put it but, next to a Coke can. But this is an, an enormous comic, and um, I think Gordon's or Gordon Murphy's art is uh, is is meant to be seen this way. Like I just open to a random page, and it's just gorgeous inside, um, and it it really nails uh, the scope of the book. But the first issue is 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 enormous in terms of what it accomplishes. It introduces us to this world. It introduces us to the central you know, characters and themes and problems that we're going to deal with for the entire 10 issues. Uh, it introduces, introduces us to the central antagonist who is this internet-made whole or internet-made human type of person who yeah. is just a meme factory. And all he wants is chaos and violence. He's like the Joker of this world, if you will. And, you know, they have to stop him. Um, and he's connected. He can connect to other people. He can take them over. He is all powerful in this space. It's fortune. He's fortune incarnate, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Although it did date the book when he kept he he kept saying uh, on fleek. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this this came out in in 2015. Yep, that's that's about right. But you know what I you know what I like about it. Yeah. I, what I love about that is that if you were reading it at the time, it's appropriate for the time you were reading it in. But if you're not and you're new to the book and you've never heard that term before, it sounds like some ancient or even made up term that then fits the book even better. It just sounds like memes, meme talk. What yeah. What is uh, Miles Morales? Uh, no, uh, uh, Miles O'Hara. Miguel O'Hara. Sorry. Spider-Man 2099. There's that. He has that thing. Or oh, like Batman Beyond. I think he's a shock. Have. Yeah, shock. Is yeah. that Batman? Yeah. Just weird stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I was yeah, I was on Vine. I know what that is, Remender. Come on. At at one point the uh this guy, what was his name? Davy Trauma or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh he uh he says, uh DJ, throw me on the nastiest Bieber. Right, 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 right. Like again, if you know who Justin Bieber is, then it's like, wow, yeah, these people are really stuck in, you know, a particular time frame. But if you don't, for some reason, then it just sounds like someone, you know, made up, which, of course, who doesn't know who Justin Bieber is? But, um, yeah. I, Kale, the first issue, and you read this before, right? Or No, this is the first this, time I've read it. This is your first read, okay. Yeah. So the first issue is obviously a lot to take in. What were your immediate thoughts as you're getting through the first issue in particular? 
Um, I, I, I guess my immediate thoughts. Uh, I was, I was really, I think I was really comparing it to White Knight. Really lost in. Oh, this blonde lady sure looks like Harley Quinn. Yeah. Um, the 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 chase and the way Remender sets up, um, showing off the world by this, uh, you know, essentially long chase scene, uh, is really is done really well to explain the world and and they. Uh, he goes through sort of everything you'll need to know to progress. Um, and I found that really interesting. You know, it things are moving and things are happening and you need to know all of it to get through the chase scene. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think this is a, a masterful first issue. I really do. Um, I think that a lot of times we talk about the typical image number one that's very light on hmm. um you know action, it's light on progression, it's heavy on table setting, and, mm-hmm. and it often just feels like a sacrificed issue. And I don't think that this issue number one feels that way at all. I mean, you get huge action right out of the gate. It feels like a movie, and that's all deliberate. This world is hyper fast everything is is now everything is happening everything is moving um the people aren't moving at all they're stuck in front of their screens but the world that they live in is all fast it's gimme 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 it's instantaneous um dopamine hits and i think that that they came out of the gate and gave us exactly that they started the book with an action sequence you know they didn't waste any time at all um and we get introduced into our primary characters deb and and led and you know Deb is this very attractive, um, you know, at times scantily clad woman who clearly is head over heels in love with this hulking monster who looks like um, one of the, the 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 ghosts of Batman from Grant Morrison's run, who was jacked up on Venom. He's got this helmet on and this cool ass bike, and a helmet he never takes off, and we're not sure why. Um, and it's just so interesting and compelling, literally right out of the gate. And I feel like very few comics manage to do that. I think even the the art, the way it opens up on page two, it gives us a double page spread and like lean guides us visually through that. That yeah. first page where we're on a chase, we're coming down, and then just as this person breaks through a little, whatchamacallit, like a little alleyway, it's just double page spread followed by uh, a very open page, followed by two more back-to-back double-page spreads or at least interconnected pages yeah. just to, again, keep us in the space of, okay, we're big now. This is this is the story. We're, intro- we're introducing you to it, to the world, and here are your characters. Here's, here are the, the, the beats, and we've done it all in the same span that we've been able to attract your eye with bombastic imagery. Fucking loved it. What I liked about the first issue was that it cemented the book as being Deb's story, really. It's yeah. all from her narration, which I think bucks the trend of what this book would have been. You know what I mean? Because um, it's that, you know, the uh, 
big hulking bounty hunter guy like you expect it to be his book really um but we get to see it from deb's perspective and deb is really the protagonist of this book um so that's that's what i enjoyed about that first issue i was like all right it, it is a little like uh i agree sean it's a really good first issue uh, especially when he, he rubs that guy's face against the wall when he's uh when he's driving the motorcycle Crazy. the guy just becomes just gristle at that point um but it, it kind of sl- the narration helps slow down everything we're seeing on the on the page, uh, which I enjoyed. Which is thematic as well because Deb is not connected to the internet. She's yeah, yeah. likely one of the only people left in the world that's not, and so she would be the grounding factor, and her narration would accomplish that goal. I mean, this is a book that's almost hard to keep up with because of how much is always going on. And I love the fact that if you pay attention to the actual art, you do get rewarded in a couple of different ways. So first of all, th- this is this is the the page that introduces us to the death race, which they just you know happen upon. It's not even it doesn't really matter. But look at how this look at this page. Look at this look at this spread. Uh, this looks absolutely phenomenal. And I don't know, once again, if it really is sold by me showing it to you here, but it's it's just beyond gorgeous. And one of the, the, the you know techniques that Gordon Murphy employs throughout the book is these, these spreads, which are not necessarily typical splash pages by any means. They are full story pages, but they're interconnected. And I think what that does is it creates a seamlessness. You don't have to think about how to read this book. It's there. And everything is so easy for you. And that's not how it always is. You know, that's not necessarily how it's supposed to be. I think every single element of this comic is working in tangent to tell the story, you know, which is that these people are living wrong. One of the cool things, too, that, that the, you're you're rewarded for with the art, too, is whenever you see Lead Dent, when, he, when he's Lead Dent, and you can see all the different screens, but it's mirrored because he's looking at it. So you don't actually, you have to read things backwards and stuff sometimes. Um, sometimes like what's in there is like added just a little bit of flair uh, that, that I really liked. Well, there's one in particular that I thought was really funny is uh, through lead. Uh, we can see like messages left on an internet message board that talk shit about Rick Remender and Sean Gordon Murphy, but praise Matt Hollingsworth. <laughs> so just little Easter eggs like that are really fun. Um, and the other thing that this first issue establishes is that this book is hyper-violent. How did you guys feel about the level of violence that the book immediately uh, forces you to deal with? Fine. It feels typical of... Uh of an image book you're you're you can come in sort of expecting a bit more blood a bit more profanity a bit more just gore i think a lot of the time um or at least the capacity for it and so uh coming into this i'm like yeah that checks out this is fine desensitized yeah it it felt it felt like another world more than an extension of ours Hmm. um in that way that it it felt sort of uh blade runner esque you know the first thing that happens in blade runner is the guy gets the you know the tests and then he uh he's killed isn't he the uh the first android we see on screen 
at the very beginning. They got I the first guy they were chasing. You've never seen Blade Runner? No, to my shame. Oh, I think you really enjoy yeah. it. Probably. Life changing, honestly. Uh, anyway, it. yeah, it, it it felt like that. It felt very uh, you know, uh uh, uh hard grounded sci-fi where there are stakes and they're violent. Right. Hmm. So yeah, the first issue ends with them having, you know, save the day, presumably stopping Davy trauma. And, you know, that's all cool, but that's not where the emotions are supposed to be. Like, that's not the center of the story. The center of the story is the relationship between yeah. Led and Deb and, and, you know, really as much as they're trying to, you know, stop crime or whatever, she's trying to save him. And the themes here are very clear, you know, they're living in a technological world where everyone's addicted to technology, but the theme is is someone, and it could be a family member, it could be your love, it could be you know your 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 romantic uh, partner, it could be anything like that. Someone trying to save someone else from addiction, and that is the core of this story. She's deeply in love with him. They clearly have a history. They've known each other since they were little kids. And throughout the 10 issues, we see, you know, how their relationship, how their love developed, but also how his addiction developed and how she became his caretaker in a lot of ways, um, you know, an enabler. And that's something that she has to reckon with and deal with. And we're watching somebody come to terms with the fact that they can't save the person that they love from their addiction. And it's the story of an abusive relationship too. You know, like all the, like, cause Teddy screws up constantly in this and her having to come to terms with like, I can't just be the one that fixes everything every time, you know? Um, and I really like that cause it, it, there for, as gross as this world is where there's a giant hentai themed, uh, uh, theme park attraction um there's still a human part to the story that's happening here which honestly if it didn't have this it would this book might be too much to read if like it didn't have that kind of soul in it if that makes sense i feel like that's the thing that the book is trying to get across as being real like we're in this world of artificialness and this love is enduring it is complicated it is hurtful sometimes, but, and they say it in the book as much, right? Like these things as a reality will, will hurt or something that's like part yeah. of it. And that's part of the reward. Um, and so you're seeing her, you're seeing them go through this. She is suffering uh, externally, internally. He's just kind of zombied out. Um, but to your point, Tyler, that human piece is what is real for the book. And I thought that that is a driving like central tenet and theme and just something to ground us on again just really well done i i cried like three times in this book bro i haven't cried from a book <laughs> we know you're heartless I, i'm starting to worry now <laughs> I, I don't i don't even think that there you know tyler said this book would be too much to take without the love story there is no book without the love story. that's okay. what the that's what the book is about 
Um, it's the other stuff is a framing device, you know, and it's an effective one. And I think it's an interesting one because there's also a story here about nature versus technology, you know, and the way we're choosing to live our lives and how, you know, that transforms not only us internally, but the world around us. Um, and I think that that's all beautifully well told as well. But where where I feel Rick is really flexing is in his ability to you know, center this beautiful love story amidst all this chaos and craziness. Um, I think it's it's excellent. It's extremely well told. Um, and I, I, I feel like this is Rick at his finest. I really do. Both of them, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. In particular, um, one of the things I noticed from uh, Murphy was just how consistently angled these things are. I feel like when we were reading White Knight, like yeah, he draws with really sharp lines a lot of the time, like thicker inks. Um, but sometimes they get too scratchy or too loose. There were a lot of moments here where I could like look at the page and be like, "Oh, I see the shapes. I can see the um, or the, the the geometry in what he's drawing." And that played consistently throughout um, as well. So like on top, the both of them were just on a game, a plus game. Yeah, I mean, like, say what you want about Tron Murphy, you know, as as a person. <laughs> um, I don't think you can really dispute that he's a good-ass artist. <laughs> Talented, um, dude, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a landlord, right? Yeah. Although I, I would say maybe his stuff have been, has been a little derivative of his own stuff at this, at, at you know, this stage. But even then, like, it's just like, no, that dude just knows how to draw a good vehicle. Like, <laughs> let him cook at it, you know? <laughs> The book takes a pretty sharp turn, though. Uh, you know, we we leave the world of, you know, Los Angeles, which is this technological hellscape of... It's like the internet in Vegas everywhere all the time. Um, it's, it's really disturbing. But we leave that world and we go to Tokyo, which is the last bastion of no technology left on Earth. And this is an opportunity for lead to essentially detox and go through withdrawals. And, you know, again, the text is he's withdrawing from, you know, an addiction to technology and the chemicals that he's been implanted with. But again, the subtext can be, you know, drugs, it can be food, it can be, honestly, it's, it's any addiction. Um, and I think that the way that that was all presented, especially because it's it's juxtaposed with, you know, lead, we, we learned to be Teddy, it's juxtaposed with the backstory that's unique to him, but not necessarily uh, impenetrable for anybody to relate to why he's like this, what led to him being like this, and it has nothing to do with technology. And I think that that's something that people so often forget about addiction is that it's very very rarely about the thing that you're addicted to it's often about the thing that you're trying to get away from and mm -hmm. so in this case it's his life it's his weakness it's you know feeling like he lives in a world that expects him to be a certain kind of man that he's not this is also a book that's talking very directly about masculinity and it's through the lens of a lot of different characters but most directly teddy who is struggling with the fact that he's just not strong enough as a kid to protect his, his, his love from this harsh world. 
And so he makes himself into a monster to become the man he thinks he's supposed to be. I think to add on to that, it also becomes because again, we're in this like mindset of the social media, you take that and then augment it with the fact that plus everybody on social media, like just say just generally, everyone on social media is stronger than me, is prettier than me. These this is what I should be looking like. These are the expectations. And I don't I don't meet those things. Well why try? Let me try to find a quicker way to get there. You get and that's why you get these implants and these dopamine things and you try to find the easy way to solve a hard problem or you become insecure enough to attempt to solve it. And I think that's another interesting part is learning to really appreciate and love who you are, because then this probably wouldn't have happened if, you know, in a, in a better environment, Teddy would have been able to address those concerns and those fears in a safe and productive way. Um, and I like that they almost come off as like two people where you have Led and you have Teddy because the first the first issue it took me a second to realize that she was talking to him who was no longer Teddy but now Led because of these events that happened. So I thought that was another really good tool to help drive home just how separate they are that she can't even refer to him as what she once knew him as but now this new consumed personality or, you know, that's like you have your uh you have that one uncle that one cousin you're just like oh but you know it's it's them and you can already assign a expectation to them that whole um okio bit um actually had probably my favorite issue and i don't know which issue it was uh but it was when uh the mash i think his name was um the guy from teddy's past comes back and tries to tries to get him and Teddy is, you know, he's finally in a place that is quote unquote good. And he can kind of like mm -hmm. come to terms with it. We see him like he's flashing back to ripping the arms off a child, you know. Um, and they were his bullies previous too. So there was like real bad blood there. Um, I really enjoyed that because it was like, all right, because I didn't care much for Teddy before that. I'm like, all right, you know, he's not really redeeming, but like this, like, once he was like detoxed and we could actually get some personality out of him, especially during that issue, I felt it. And then, and then as soon as I was starting to feel, you know, bad for him, he takes the, the stuff again. And it's like, ah, oh, no, here we go again. I thought, that, I thought that issue was really, really nicely paced. Yeah. The, the pacing of all that, uh, was incredible. Um, I really, really enjoyed all that. Um, Mash being there, though, and that sort of happenstance felt contrived to me. It just, like, you know, to me, I don't know, you know, and I know it's plot, I know it's story, you know, it's, things have to happen. But to me, it just felt, it felt like a moment of seeing the gears turn. Like, you know, Deb has spent so long trying to get them to Tokyo, which, you know, we're, I think we're supposed to be led to believe it's like hard to get out of LA. Um, you know, and it's quite a venture for them to get out and do it. But Teddy's got this, 
you know, one armed uh, vigilante guy that, you know, just happens to be there and they run into him in Tokyo and now he's got to strike his revenge. That just didn't sit right with me. So I, 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 what I feel about that piece is that that's supposed to represent the idea that when a, when a person overcomes their addiction, there is no, there's no Tokyo. There is nowhere you get to go where you don't deal with the problems of your past or where you're not confronted by the things that, you know, might've even put you in that bad place. That was a test. Can Teddy overcome the fact that now he's being confronted by the exact same people who, to some degree, are responsible for making him the, the man he became? Can he overcome this demon without using the, the, the coping mechanism that took so much away from him? This is applicable to any addiction you could possibly have. And that's why Teddy has to deal with this. Maybe Rick could have come up with another way to present it, but I feel like this was extremely appropriate because who else but the people who put you there? Mm. And in the same situation, he has to protect Deb. That's his core, you know, desire and concern. And so he turns to the only thing he knows to use in order to do that, which of course is is the the monster that takes control of his life. Yeah, that that makes sense. It does add to the feeling of this tight narrative. You know, everything, every string on this, you know, in this knot is there for a reason. And I, I feel like I rarely read books that feel so interwoven in that in that way where it's like, you know, for me, what you just said about it being a contrivance, normally I would I would completely agree, but because it feels so um interwoven with the themes and with what Rick is trying to say, it, it for some reason for me it gets a pass. I guess for those reasons it gets a pass. Mm-hmm. Um but Tokyo gets destroyed, you know. And keeping with the theme of, 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 you know, what it's like to then relapse, that's the end of the world. Yep. I got same, the same thought. Yeah. I, that, that was such a, and I, I think one of the things that Rick does well is he gives us this emotional connection. I think it was smart on his part to go from the overstimulation and this huge space to Tokyo where it's quieter where the movement where things go slower specifically because for the moment of that relapse it, it that becomes that much more tragic because it's like oh you were here you were in the moment you were doing the work you know you were you were making progress damn one little slip and like that's it you fall right back in that that was genuinely heartbreaking and uh seeing seeing Deb like be hurt not at the actions but at the dishonesty and at the willingness not to stick through. Oh, damn, that got me again. I was like, that one tears, this one in tears. The first issue where she's just like, just tell me your name. And he's like, oh, for my shows. I was like, yeah. I'm a little hurt. I like too that 
Rick follows through uh, with his, you know, he he plants the seed of, you know, if if Teddy does this one more time, he'll will never get him back. Yeah, and he does, and we don't. And not only do we don't, it it ruins everything. Mm-hmm. The worst thing that could happen happens. Exactly. And and that's something that I like about Rick's work. I mean, you know, if you've been listening to this, you know, to us for a while, you've probably figured out that I'm an enormous Rick Remender fan. And one of the reasons for that is because he very, very much uh, holds characters feet to the fire. He's willing to say, if you won't change, you'll die. If you won't figure this out, you won't survive this. You know, you'll become the worst version of yourself if you don't save yourself. And you can see that across all of his books. Look at Uncanny X-Force and what happens to Angel and what he becomes. You know, these are consistent themes across his work. And I love the fact that you know what a Rick Remender comic is when you read it because you know the kinds of things that are important to him, the kinds of things that he likes to talk about. Um, And I, I frankly, I think you can apply the same kind of logic to Sean Gordon Murphy. Um, his his books are very very distinct visually, and I think thematically there is some uh, some overlap as well. Um, but then Deb's gone for a while, and you know there's this EMP that she now has access to, um, and she becomes like the opposite force to Davy Trauma, where he's like the internet made flesh, and you know robot parts. She's, you know, the antithesis of that. She is nature incarnate. She is the ability to blank out all technology. She is the Tokyo ghost. I thought that was cool. That was a good spin because I wasn't sure where that was going, what the idea was there. Uh, I think Tyler mentioned it at the top. Just like I wasn't expecting Deb to be that protagonist because of how the the book looks, even off of the cover. Um, and I think when she got that EMP power and she tries to take out the bomb, I think I commended Rick's drive to be like, or his commitment to be like, no, she's gone. She's off the board. This is your punishment. Like This is your punishment uh, now led formerly Teddy, but this is your punishment. Um, and now you have to go through life with that. And we as a reader have to go and experience that. Um, I thought that was a really strong moment. I almost didn't like when she came back because that felt that part for a second felt to me like a contrivance. I'm like, she was right by the bomb. She hit the EMP thing. Like I saw her blow up, but fine. This is cool. I'll give it to you. Um, that was probably one moment where I I thought the to your point, Kale. Like it was convenient that she survived, even though it was necessary to for the plot and for each of these individual characters where um, I I was taken out for a second before coming back in. Hale had mentioned earlier, um, you know, that we never get Teddy back and we sort of do for just a brief moment um, where, you know, it seems like he's, he's back and he's speaking to Deb and, you know, he's kind of saying, like, I'm all messed up and, you know, uh, 
uh, he says, you know, I ruined everything, which we definitely know to be the case. Um, but then he's forced to slit his own throat by Davies, which was absolutely crazy. And I, I forgot that that happened. So I had a genuine reaction this time around. I was like, oh, shit, he's just dead? Like, that's it? What the fuck? Yeah, they try to get us with the okie doke by saying, like, oh, they, they you know, they Arnim Zola'd him, you know, his right. uh, consciousness can still be, he's still around, you know, but, uh, and I think that's the, the idea, the idea of sticking with somebody who has an addiction. It's like the constant hope that's there, even when it's obvious that it's, it's not there. Um, you yeah. still kind of cling to it, you know, and she makes that decision to just, you know, screw it. I gotta do what's right. Yeah. Also, how about Rocket Raccoon uh, being in the one to take down Davy, just like he did the High Evolutionary in Guardians 3? I love red pandas, so more red panda representation. Um, yeah, and I like how they didn't hurt him. So <laughs> I was like, this world right. sucks, but he's okay. That's what mattered. Little Tanuki. True, yeah, that is a Tanuki, yeah. Oh man. Uh yeah, and then and then really from there it's just about it's just about resolving this whole thing. And um I I personally really love the way the book ends. Um you know, forcing Deb to kind of have to choose and her ultimately choosing herself because her story is one of codependency. Mm-hmm. You know, Teddy is literally addicted to um technology to drugs and things of that nature but she's addicted to him she's addicted to the role that she plays in her life because it gives her purpose later on in the book um rick remender through i think it's deb's um narration box talks about how you know there's something in 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 humanity there's something inside of us that makes us feel small and that we fill that void with different things and that maybe that's why God was created, but God wasn't enough. And so then we created technology and we created all of these things, all these distractions to fill the void and make us feel like we're worth something. Well, in Deb's life, what makes her feel like she's worth something is her mission to save Teddy. And so, yes, she definitely loves him genuinely, just like he loves her genuinely, but he also performs a function in her life that gives her value and meaning. Just like Ted's addictions, in a sense, give his life value and meaning. So I love the way that, that Rick was playing with those themes uh, throughout the book and how ultimately she finds value and meaning in humanity itself by the end of the book. Like at large versus the yeah, individual. Exactly. I, I thought that was in, I had a hard time with that. Um, I think ultimately I agreed that the answer for her benefit was to let go and just live, start to live her life. Um, and, and this is probably what Rick wanted, but that was a really hard choice. Like, like I sat with that for a second and like, I don't know how I would. I don't know how I would go about doing that. Like, I don't know how I would go about and being like, but this person I know that I care for, that I love. And the fact that 
she is in love with him, I think makes matters worse is how do you let go of that? It is, it is a, it is unsightly. It's scary. And to see that person devolve, but uh, is it moral at that point to let that person go? And I think that, I don't know where Rick's going to go, where, where my mind ended up going was like, I think ultimately you serve a larger group better with yourself intact than you would this individual. Um, but that one, uh, that was a, a spiky versus a squishy thought that I really had to just kind of like figure out. Um, I, I love that he presented that in this book. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the, the, the thing about Rick Remender's work is that he doesn't really like, uh, he doesn't play it safe. This was, I was uncomfortable with this book for a lot mm -hmm. of reasons. Some of them were, are deeply personal. Um, and he doesn't pull punches. Like most of the time, a book like this would end with Teddy somehow alive. And that's just not what happens. He's dead and he's really dead. Um, and Deb's ending is not necessary. The book, the end of the book is not necessarily a happy one. Like now the world has to be liberated from, you know, this, I mean, it kind of has been, it's been liberated from the hold of technology, but not necessarily the pain that made the world this way in the first place. But people don't have the, their pacifier. They don't have the thing anymore that helped them reckon with life. So now they have to do it by themselves. That's not a happy ending um, because we already know what that's like. We're living that life. You know, we've lived that life um, and that's ha a hard life. The only thing that makes it sort of happy, not even happy, but hopeful, which I think is a different feeling is that now they get to maybe be better. Now they get to choose. Um, and that's, you know, but that that's up in the air. Who knows how that kind of thing goes. See, I, I read that as even being like, this is the fall into the temptation again, especially because it ended with, was it, was his name? Something trauma? Um, Davey. Davey. Like, because it ended with him being like stuck in the Game Boy, um, I thought was, all right, this is just, these are the floodgates again. It's going to take a bit before we get there, but this, this will repeat. It is the, the, addiction of new technology and convenience combined is deadly and i think that was that last piece that last lesson because we we see these kids who are playing and frolicking or whatever right and this little kid goes over and it's like well you know it is convenient for me to sit here and play a game than to be outside and play a game and Technology provides that convenience. Um, and I'm not saying to admonish video games necessarily, but that taking away of attention and commodifying of attention and transacting on attention was uh, ultimately what I felt Rick was trying to say is unless you can get away with that, get, get off of that structure, get away from that structure, you're going to find yourself getting stuck and coming back into this thing. I, I thought he was saying the things that led people to this are never, they're never going to be gone. That you always have to fight against that. That mm -hmm. the, 
the the feelings of loneliness and pain and you know uh you know um sadness and anger that lead people to become like Teddy will always be something that you have to be vigilant against. And if you're not, then you let Davy trauma into your life. And I don't think it's a mistake that his last name is Trump. Hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. I thought it was telling us that gamers are the, the first step to the downfall of civilization. <laughs> yeah. That's the real takeaway. Playing Mortal Kombat. Hey, along the way, though, we get to be plugged in 24-7 to porno. So I'm just saying, you know, like... <laughs> Actually, that sounds like way too much. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no shit. Gonna pay extra for that uh, foot tickler, Tyler? Tyler's looking for a foot tickler? Anyway. Uh, I I love this book. I love it. I think it's phenomenal. Um, there's so, so many... Like, it's a really stuffed comic. There's a lot going on. Um, but I think, despite that fact, you do get a very tight story out of it. Yeah, I think it is... Like, at its core, this is a small story, really. It's a small story with a big world. Um, and I think it, it does both of those things very well. Hmm. All right. Uh, final thoughts. Phenomenal. I do have a question. Okay. Do, do you think that's an open-ended ending, or do you think, like, there's ever plans down the line? It's deliberately open-ended yeah. so that they could return to it if they wanted. Uh, that being said, I don't suspect that they will. Yeah, I want that. This, this feels good. Marco, this you got to read Black Science next. Oh, dude, it's on the list. I think I have it as part of like that image whatever thing. I didn't have this one because I remember I had it in print. So I don't want to read it there. But I think I have Black Science up to Black only science is the three. Black notes? Science is powerful. Yeah? Yeah. Dang. Okay. Is Chrononauts good? I haven't read that. It's Millar. It's not Remender. It's Mark Millar. Um, so oh, it's Gordon Murphy. That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Take that for what you will. Um, f- final thoughts. I-, I like this a lot. This is one of my favorite Remender books. Um, I don't think I was as hot on it as a, the second time around. I think it spoke to me more when the world was a little less shitty. <laughs> um, but I do really enjoy it. I- it is still one of my favorite books uh, by Remender. Yeah, I think it's I would it's a definite recommendation for anyone who listens to the show. Yeah, I don't think it this is the first time I read it and I, I don't know that I got everything it was that they were trying to put down. Um not that I feel like I missed a whole lot, especially through our conversation, but I don't feel like I I personally was able to give it the time to think about it and dive as deep as maybe it deserves. Um, so I think the jury's still a little out for me. Um, I probably recommend it. All right. Maybe. Um, yeah, this shit was hot fire. Uh, I would recommend this. Uh, to a more seasoned reader, I think the enough the overstimulation might scare people away. As they go, oh, I thought I was reading comics. I thought I was here looking for pictures. I'm reading lots of words. 
Um, and I think this might not be the best gateway to that. But I think for somebody who's been reading a little bit and, you know, wants to expand their palette a bit, this is the book for them. Otherwise, I'm hugely impacted by this. A lot of this stuff, a lot of what Rick talks about here is just stuff that I think about and that I like inundating myself. And so a lot of it felt like natural extensions of my own conversations and um, where I feel like social media is heading and where we're heading as like a society. It got very doomsday for a second, but then he injects this little bit of hope in with Deb. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm a positive person. Um, so yeah, phenomenal. Uh, this is probably like a nine out of, and a half out of 10 for me. She was good. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think this is this is one of Rick's finest books. Um, but every one of Rick's books is one of his finest books. So I don't even know what that means anymore when it comes to him, at least in my mind. I think that in this book, Rick Remender is Deb. And mm -hmm. I think that the hyper-stimulated world of LA is Marvel Comics and DC and, you know, big comics publishing. And I think that he got right the hell out of there and went to Tokyo. <laughs> you know what, Rick? I hope I hope you're having a blast, as much of a blast as I am having reading the work. So uh, I recommend this to anybody. I think um, if you can look past, as Marco said, if you can sort of take the presentation for what it's meant to be, um, then you can find the heart and soul of this book. And I think that it has a whole lot of both. So, uh, yeah, love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you to the patrons for giving me an opportunity to reread this book. You guys are all fantastic. We love you. And uh, we hope that you'll vote as uh, as fervently on the next one. Uh, if you would like to also take part in the voting for the next book club, you can do so by heading on over to patreon.com slash the comics pals. You get your ability to vote and a whole host of other cool things uh, that we have on offer over on our Patreon page, exclusive shows, uh, a nickname and a shout out on our main show, all kinds of cool stuff. Speaking of our main show, you can check that out every single Saturday at 1015 Eastern streaming live on YouTube and uh, 6 p.m. Eastern for Pals Pulls, which is the show where we review comics every single week. Thank you all so much for listening until the next book club. We are the Comics Files signing off. Take care, guys. See you next month.